Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. They say vision leaks every 30 days, um, which really is another way of saying every 30 days you say to yourself, wait a second, why am I doing what I'm doing? <laughs> what, what, what am I doing this for? Why am I here? Every 30 days you forget why you're doing what you're doing or what you're supposed to be doing. Now, that can happen because um, you do something so often, you just go into sort of autopilot. Maybe you've had that experience where you're driving someplace that you always drive, and you, and you arrive there, but you cannot remember the last 30 minutes. You're like, I, didn't, I don't even remember that. I'm on autopilot. But it can also happen when you don't do something for a period of time. When you stop doing it, the habit is gone, the muscle memory is gone, you haven't done it for a long time, and you're like, why do I do this anyways? Why does this matter? Uh, we can even forget what we're doing if we add to that scenario pressure. Um, this last summer, I had a chance to coach my youngest son in baseball, and some of the kids on the team uh, hadn't played baseball before, and, and none of them had played in the last kind of over a year because we didn't have baseball last year. And baseball is one of those games where you, the action goes from standing still to you have to leap into action. And no matter how much you talk about a practice or what happens, they're supposed to do in a given situation, invariably in the game, all of a sudden the ball is hit, everyone starts screaming. The, the team who hit is screaming, the, the opposite team, the coaches you're yelling at, and invariably there's one or two kids in the middle of the field grabbing their heads and just running, going around in circles like they completely have lost the plot. They have no idea what they're supposed to do. And everyone's screaming at you. It's impossible to hear your coach's voice saying, throw it to second, or you're the cutoff man, or go here, or run here, right? So when you don't do something for a period of time, you can forget why you're doing it or what it's for, and under pressure, it gets even harder. Now listen, friends, I believe as the church, uh, we are in no greater need than we've ever been before to know why we are doing what we're doing or what it actually means to be the church. Why does it matter that we are the church? Not just because in a sense, like aspects of being a church, we haven't done or participated in for a long time. Gathering in person, we haven't done for a long time. Serving together, we haven't done for a long time. Being involved in mission in our communities, we haven't done in a long time. And so you can forget, wait, why do we do this? How do we do this? Why does this matter? But also because we are under pressure and there are voices coming from everywhere telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing. There are some who say, you know what? The church is irrelevant. The church doesn't matter anymore. It's, it was part of the past. It's not part of the future. There are others that say the church is actually harmful. It's done damage in the world. And we understand why. And it's true. The church has done damage in the past. There are others who say, well, the church is, is mostly political. It's just about power. It's just about um, political parties. It's just about manipulation and controlling people. Others would say, well, the church is, is bigoted racist, judgmental. And so there are voices saying, hey, we don't need this anymore. This shouldn't be around. It's not only irrelevant or boring, it's harmful. We need to get rid of it. Now, in response, there are some Christians, some churches saying, well, what the church needs to do is defend. We need to defend our faith. We need to defend our position. We need to be vocal and, and aggressive. We need to be um, uh, defending what we're doing. Others would say, well, we need more power. 
or we need to protect what we're doing. We need the government to protect our rights and our religious rights. And we need um, to, to bunker down and make sure we hold on to our faith. Or perhaps in a world that feels chaotic and under pressure and where there's so many voices, um, we just say, oh, we need God to rescue us. Take us to heaven, Lord. Like, let's get out of this mess. I would say to you more than ever, we need to know what it is we're doing and why and what it means to be the church. Maybe you're going to university or in college, you're a high school student, you're a young adult. And maybe you've actually thought, do I even want to be associated with the church anymore? Given all of the stuff that's happened in the name of God, in the name of church and religion, do I even want, maybe you're afraid to even say that, you know, you're a Christian or you go to church and you might think, I don't even know if I want to be associated with this. Or maybe say, I don't even know if I want to be a part of this. Why would I do this? Why does this matter? Why is this something I want to be a part of? Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to try to convince you you should. It's not my job actually to convince you to believe anything. But what I want to do today is actually paint a picture for all of us. Whether you're someone who's sort of excited to be re-engaging in a sense as a church in all of the ways that we're allowed to. Maybe you're someone who's on the fence and you have in the past, but you're like, I'm not sure. You know, there's been so much damage done. Do I really want to associate myself with this? Maybe you're someone who's exploring faith. This is your first time uh, watching or being back in church in a long time. I want to paint a picture for you of what it actually means, <laughs> why God even created the church, what our purpose is. And my hope and prayer is that by the time I'm done, even if you're not convinced that you want to be a part of it, you would hear something you say, you know what? I actually want everyone to be a part of that. That's actually something. I'm glad there are people that call themselves the church. I'm glad there are people that associate themselves with the church, that we would be able to recapture our purpose. And actually, over the next four weeks, we are um, going through a series called Reset um, because it's easy to forget the things that matter most. Like, what does it mean to be the church as our community, as our mission, as our sense of purpose and our values? What guides, kind of who are we? What are we meant to be? You know, you might be interested to know that, that, that the very first church, the very first community of uh, Jesus followers existed in a sense, before there were church buildings, before the word church was even a word, before the word um, uh, Bible was even a word, before there was a Bible, that all before any of that existed, before the word Christian was used, there was a community of people, a small community. They were called followers of the way, the way of Jesus. This was this community of people that had become convinced <laughs> through Jesus' teaching, his life, his death, and his resurrection that he was someone worth following. And we forget, before there was church, before there was Christian, before there was Bible, there was this community of people. Actually, the first church, followers of the way of Jesus. What's more, that group of people had little to no power, little to no wealth, and they were under intense pressure. They actually found themselves amongst three other groups of people that had more wealth, more power, more influence than they did. They found themselves, first of all, in the midst of Greek culture. And the Greeks thought that the Christian ideas, the idea of following Jesus was foolish. They thought it didn't make any sense. It was dumb. They were mocked for it by the Greek culture. 
they were under the rule of the Roman Empire. The Romans not only mocked their beliefs, they thought they were dangerous. They were uh, the threat of uprising. Rome squashed any movement that threatened its power. And so not only were they mocked by Greek culture, they were oppressed and persecuted by the Roman Empire. And thirdly, they were seen as evil by the Jewish temple. The leaders of the Jewish temple at that time thought that what they believed, that somehow this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was actually God in the flesh, and that this thing that they were going around telling everyone that he had died and been raised to life was the most dangerous lie any God-fearing Jew could say, could have and believe and tell others. And so not only did the Greeks mock them and the Roman empire try to crush them, the Jewish temple thought they were evil and dangerous as well. And so they were trying to stamp them out. <laughs> and so the early church 2000 years ago, though living in a very different time and culture than ours, was mocked, seen as foolish, seen as dangerous, evil, and something to be crushed, something to be silenced, something to be canceled. And so we can say, actually, oh, they're kind of in the same boat that we are 2,000 years later. And what's so interesting is that one of the early pastors in the church writes this letter to this community of people, telling them who they are meant to be, what they're supposed to do, what their purpose is. You would think, a church in that condition, in that situation, would be thinking that they need to do what many Christians today think we need. We need more power. We need more influence. We need more wealth. We need more people in politics. We need more protection. We need more faith. <laughs> and this first early church pastor, the Apostle Paul, writes a letter to this community in a place called Ephesus, an area called Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, who was under the same pressure, mocked by Greek culture, oppressed by the Roman Empire, seen as dangerous and evil by the Jewish temple. And I want you to listen as he describes to them what he was praying for them, they would understand who they were and what was most important to them. So have a listen. I wonder if you caught that. In this letter... The Apostle Paul, earlier on, has just uh, taken time to explain to them just how incredible and miraculous uh, it is what God has done for them. That he has become flesh, that Jesus became one of us, that you have been saved, that you have been forgiven, that you have been given a new purpose, a new identity, and brought into the family of God. And in light of all that, he says, here's what you need to know most. Here's what that means for your purpose as a community of people. Here's what I'm praying for you most that you would understand. He says this, that you would realize that what matters most is to know the love of God. To actually know the love of God. This is what matters most. You might think, oh, really? Like the love of God? Like that's the answer? That's what matters most? Now think about this for a second. In the midst of a time when it was very vulnerable and dangerous to be a part of the church, when they were part of a community that was mocked and criticized and hated and seen as dangerous and was therefore oppressed and persecuted and marginalized, he says, what you need most 
is not more wealth, not more power, not more opportunity, not more influence, not more protection. You need to know the love of God. Now, some of your translations say um, know, but others say experience. Experience the love of God. This translation that was read for you says experience the love of God. And he gives an analogy because it's one thing to say, oh, I know the love of God. Some of you may have grown up in the church. You grew up singing this song, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. But as someone said, you know, the long distance, the 18 inch long road from your head, something you know in your head to know in your heart is this issue of experience. And he says, this is what matters most that you would have firsthand experience with the love of God. (laughs) And then he says this, like a tree has firsthand experience with the earth. You might be like, what? How does a tree have firsthand experience with the earth? Well, think about it. A tree literally gets its life from the earth, from the place it is planted in. The the roots of a tree grow down into the earth to find water, and it will go wherever it finds the water. And to draw life from that water and to draw life from the nutrients in the soil. And if it does that, it grows and it is stable and it begins to grow up and out and strong. He says, that's what happens with a tree. That's what it means for a tree to know or experience the earth. And he says, this is what is most important for you as the people of God to know. This is what I'm praying for you. This is your purpose. This is your reason for being. This is the thing you cannot forget that you are meant to do and be. He says that you would grow roots down deep into the love of God. That the love of God would be something that you root your life in. That in a sense, you draw all of your strength and nourishment and identity and stability from is the love of God for you. And he says, when that happens, the love of God begins to flow up in you. It goes up and out and you begin to know just how deep, just how high, just how wide the love of God really is. He says, that's what I'm praying for you that would actually happen to you. Listen to what one commentator explains this actually means. He says, to know the love of Christ is to know Christ himself in ever-widening experience and to have this outgoing and self-denying love, the love of Christ, reproduced in you. This is what it means to be the people of God. This is your purpose. This is what it means to be the church. Long before they were using the word church, long before there were buildings, long before there was a Bible, the apostle Paul was writing this letter to them and say, I'm praying that somehow you would understand this is your purpose. This is what matters most, that you would root your life in the love of Christ and that it would begin to flow up and out of you and you would become more like the loving Christ himself. That's your purpose. And if you'll note in any translation you read in this, he says, I'm praying that you would have power, not military power, not power that comes from position or influence, not power that comes from wealth, not power that comes from um, having enough people and power that comes from force. He says, no, I pray that you would have power to grasp or understand the love of God, which is crazy, right? But what he's saying is, it takes power to understand God's love for you. This is not something we understand and experience very well. We are people who are insecure, who are fearful, who 
live with conditional love all around us, from our family, from our friends, from our employers, from the world around us. What have you done for me lately is what this world makes this world go around. We don't know a love that is so deep and so rich and so wide. And Paul says, you need power. I'm praying that you would have power to grasp just how much God loves you, that you are of utmost importance to the one of utmost importance, that God has committed himself all the way to giving up his own life for you, not only to love you, but to make you more loving. This is what it means. He says, I'm praying that you would have power to grasp that. Because it takes power to understand God's love for you. But it also takes God power to let God's love flow through you. Right? This is not what naturally flows through us. You know what naturally flows through us? What naturally flows through me is if someone's hating me, I can very naturally hate them in return. If someone's criticizing me, I can very naturally criticize them in return. If someone's attacking me, I can very naturally either try to attack them back or I can very naturally become afraid. If things get too difficult, you know what I can naturally do? You know what flows out of me? Oh, I got to quit. I got to escape. God protect me. God get me out of here. What does not flow naturally from me, through me, is the love of Christ. Is the self-sacrificing, self-denying, reckless love of God. That does not flow through me. And that's why Paul says, I'm praying for power for you. You need power to grasp God's love, to understand it. And you need power for God's love to flow through you. This was their mission. This was their task. This was their purpose. In the midst of hostility and mockery and persecution and aggression. I don't know about you, but in these days, I've not been thinking a lot about the love of God. I've not been thinking a lot about how the love of God can flow through me. I've been thinking about, oh, how can we have more influence? And how can we respond to people who are criticizing us? And how can we protect ourselves? And how... And that's not actually what we need most. That's not, someone should have told Paul that because you know what he prayed for the church? That we'd have more love. That we would know the love of God and that love would begin to flow through us. So we just want to hit pause here for a moment and actually stop and realize this is what I need most. This is what you need most. This is what we need most. We need power to understand the love of God. And so the band's going to lead us in a song that is a prayer that asks for that very thing. Like the rushing wind, would you breathe within my heart? Jesus, draw me close. 
sing together. Cause I need how I need you. Oh God, I need you. How I need you. I need your love like I need water. I need your love like I need bread. Inside my lungs, burning my heart just like a fire. Come and take me over, Jesus, draw me closer to your heart. To your Several years ago as a church, we tried to put this idea into words, as really trying to put our vision into words and what it means to live like this. And here's what we said, deep faith, wide embrace. This is what it means to be a community that is rooted in the love of Christ and men through whom the love of Christ begins to flow up and out, right? It's this passage, your roots going down deep into God that you would know how wide and high the love of God is. When we started this church, we said, we, we actually started it for people who had decided they wanted nothing to do with church anymore. We had started this church for people who were burnt out on religion, who were done with the forms and the rituals, but who had experienced emptiness or hypocrisy or criticism or hurt. We started this church for people who had walked away from a Jesus they had never met because of the church. And we said, hey, we're not a perfect group of people, but what if we could form a community that was trying to put our roots down deep in the love of Christ, having a deep love and faith in Jesus and letting that faith and love begin to flow up in us outwardly, having a wider embrace that we would become more like Jesus himself. We said, hey, the foundation of your faith, the foundation of our faith is this community is not the church. We're not fighting to preserve the church. The foundation of our faith is not even the Bible. The foundation of our faith is Jesus. We root our lives, we get our life and our stability and our vitality from Jesus. And if we do, his life begins to transform us. Deep faith, wide embrace, that is what we are doing. You know, in past years, many centuries ago, the, the Catholic Church said the foundation of your faith is the church. And then the Protestant Reformation came along and said, no, the foundation of your faith is the Bible. And the foundation of our faith, the truth is, has always been Jesus. That's why Paul says to the very first church 2,000 years ago, build your life on his love. It's what will actually transform you. The foundation of your faith is not your baptism. It's not your first communion. It's not going to be your last communion. It's not how much you read scripture. It's not how much you give. It's not whether you come to church or whether you serve. The foundation of your faith is Jesus. Build your life on him. It's actually why we named ourselves the well. The well, a community where Jesus is at the center. 
Jesus, the one who called himself living water. He says, anyone who drinks the water I give them, streams of living water will flow out of them. Jesus, the one who offers the life-giving, life-changing relationship found in him. And we said, hey, we don't want our community to be marked by fences, who's in, who's out, but we want to be an entire community of people, no matter where we are on our, on our journey, that we are moving closer to him, the one who offers a life-giving, life-changing relationship. And friends, I am convinced that in these days, where it seems like the voices we are hearing are telling us that the church is done, it's a part of our past, but it shouldn't be a part of our future, that the church is harmful, that the church is racist, that the church is judgmental. I am convinced, though, there are still people in this world who are thirsty, who are desperate to know that the foundation of our faith is not an institution, it's not a word, it's not an idea, it's not a Bible, it's a person who offers us his love. I want you to listen to this interview I came across with Emmanuel Acho, who is a former NFL player and a sports broadcaster and who started uh, a, a, lo a little while ago com uh, uncomfortable conversations with a black man, Emmanuel Acho. And here's his interview with Lil Wayne, a mega global rap superstar. Lil Wayne, when he was 12 years old, tried to take his life. And in this interview, you'll hear about why he tried to do that. And even as he has become incredibly successful, the questions he still wrestles with. And I want you to listen to that now. What would you say kept you alive that day, in that moment? God, plain and simple, plain and simple. Break this down for me because I've, never and I couldn't walk a step, let alone a mile in your shoes. Why did you feel the need to be so extreme? For those that are battling mental health issues, it appears that you trying to take your life was really just a cry for help. Mm -hmm. Could you not use your words? Were you tired of using your words? Were your words not gonna get the point across? The words won't even be able to be said or able to be spoken. You don't. My mom, the way she were, was then, oh, you don't speak in that, ladies. You don't, you, know, you don't speak about, you don't tell how you, your opinion, what? I wish. You don't talk back and you don't, you feel, what? But I feel, and none of that, that didn't go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also I had no father. My father wasn't around, so my mom definitely felt that she had to wear the pants and you know, she had to be the dad and the mom, so she was a little extra on everything. She had to, just to make sure she got her point across and make sure I ain't try to run over her. And so, again, Words only, that was again the loneliness. So you have, when you have no one to vent to, no one to get this out to, mm -hmm. you can't bring it to your friends at school. You're still trying to be cool to them. You're not, you're not trying to let them know that I got something going on at home. Let's transition down the timeline of your life because I was 12. Mm -hmm. um, by 18, 19, 20, 21, you were now a mega star. That's when your boy fell in love with your work. Appreciate that. Um, as you got more popular, as you got more loved, did the mental health issues go away? They didn't go away, but they came in a different. They came in obviously they come they come in a different mm -hmm. uh, in a different way because of the, the maturity. So of course they're going to hit different. They're going to actually hit harder. How so? Because what can truly hit harder than an individual wanting to take their life? The thought. Now, that thought never came. Other than that, man, just being alone all the time. 
you know, being my grandmother raised me, rest in peace, Mercedes Carter. She raised me, so with that, with that said, I always had time to myself. I'm always in the back room somewhere alone with myself and too much time to think, too much time to think and too much time to compare. How could you be that popular but still feel alone? When I say alone, I mean, again, when those doors close, when, you know, when the lights cut after the, ah, thank you, you got thank, ah, the homies, then you get to the bus and then, you know, fine, y'all boys good, blah, 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 you know, blah, whatever, whatever, and then the door, them doors close. And again, so you start to think, well, who, do anyone actually care? Will it, will it matter when it's all over? Will I matter? And that's what that, that was. The, that's always that's always the question. Mm-hmm. Well, will you matter when it's all over? You, will you matter? Not the things you've done, the things you've done for, for for everyone else, but will you actually matter to them? But most of all, to you. Do you know what this tells me? That there are very likely people in your school, in your grade. They may look fine, they may look cool, they may give off the air, they're like, hey, I'm fine, I don't need anyone, I'm doing great. But inside, (laughs) their life may be hanging by a thread. Inside, they may feel desperate, alone, powerless, lost, unseen, unknown, forgotten. And they need to know (laughs) that they matter. It tells me that there are people who on the outside may look like they have all of the fame, all of the success, all of the wealth, all of the power that this world can offer. And at the end of the day, behind closed doors, they sit in silence and ask themselves, do I matter? And you and I know the answer to that question is 100% you do. You are loved by a God who gave up his life for you, who offers a new life for you. Friends, whatever the world may be saying about the church, whatever you may have had an experience with the church, you and I have an opportunity in these days to come back to or to step into who we were always meant to be, a community of people deeply rooted in and transformed by the love of Christ. And that as we grow roots deep down into this love, it begins to transform us in an ever-increasing, ever-widening way so that the world around us might go, hey, I want what you have. I desperately need what you have. In the coming weeks and months, you are going to have many opportunities as we sort of regather as a church in three locations and some of you online as well. You're going to have many opportunities to actually grow more in the love of Christ. Maybe for some of you to know it, experience it firsthand for the first time or for the first time again, because it's something you've lost sight of, you've forgotten, you've been disconnected from that. You're going to have many opportunities to do that and to allow that love to begin to give you life and life again and to begin to transform the way you see the world that you live in. One of those opportunities even is this Wednesday at our encounter prayer night. And so I would just encourage you to set that aside. That's going to be on Zoom at the well.ca slash prayer. And I want you to understand all of the things that we're calling you into this fall are really to give you opportunities to know and experience firsthand the love of Christ. And I am so excited for that to happen for you. The band's going to lead us in a song that talks about building our life on the love of God. And after that, we are going to celebrate communion together. Some of you know it as the host of the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, which is a visible uh, touch and feel and taste reminder 
of the love of God for us.
the gospel writers tell us that the night before Jesus gave up his life for us, the night before he proved to his followers how much he loved them, the night before he showed them just what true self-sacrificing, self-denying, self-giving love is, he was eating meal with them and he took bread. And so you can take whatever bread or cracker, whatever you have where you're watching this and break it with me as I break this, as Jesus broke it and said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. And he took a cup of wine. And he said, this drink, this wine is symbolic. It's a reminder of my love for you. Every time you eat and drink it, and that includes today, and all of the Jesus followers for the last 2,000 years that have celebrated this. And in fact, you can say every time you eat bread and wine, every time you eat, remember how much I love you. And so as you eat and take this today, take it with thanks for the love of God and take it praying a prayer saying, God, remind me. Give me power to understand or to understand again just how much you love me. Jesus, help us. Give us power. Show us, prove to us again. Remind us just how much you love us. And let us be a community that is bit by bit, day by day, growing more to look like you, filled with your love. Amen.